Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Podcast Like It's Nineteen Ninety Two, the podcast where we talk about the films of nineteen ninety two. Here from our perch in two thousand and twenty three, I am one of your hosts, Philoscope. I am your special guest host for the week, Emily St. James. I'm filling in for your normal host, Mister Ted Lasso himself, <laughs> uh, who uh, comes in every week and just puts in the work, and then's like, "Well, I gotta go do my soccer games." So, for a little bit of context, first and foremost, our guest today. Roxana Haddadi, TV critic at Vulture. Prior to coming on mic, we were chatting about the current landscape of television, Ted Lasso being uh, one of those things. Um, so we're going to start this episode by, by which Ted Lasso character would you sacrifice to Candyman, Roxanne? Wh- which would be your choice? I mean, this is such a difficult question because I think all of them could yield some interesting results. <laughs> And I feel like the easy answer is Roy, because it would oh, be interesting. Because it's Roy. I mean, he would yell a lot. He I would. think it would make for some interesting audio. It'd be entertaining. Yeah. yeah, it'd be entertaining. So I'm gonna go with Roy. So here's I, I'm I, I'm gonna ask an, an extended question onto that because sure. spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen Candyman at the end of this film, um, and uh, sorry, Helen becomes Candyman. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. like a different version of Candyman. Like her right, own right. Candyman. Her Girl own power, candy excuse me. Absolutely. Which yeah. is why I, I'm at my curve. My other question is going to be, who would you want of the Ted Lasso cast to become the next Candyman? No. Hmm. I mean, again, I think Roy would be interesting <laughs> because he has the voice. Sure. Mm. In sure. terms of pure terror, though, it's definitely, it's just, it's Ted. Because, like, <laughs> Ted is horrifying and making that literal i think would be pretty good 
That you, is Candyman would watch, by the way. Yeah. I just I want to make clear that this 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 question was one asked of us by Roxana, which is mm-hmm. the sure. reason. And Phil was like, we got to open the episode with that. Instead of going with my suggestion, which was to just make it seem like this was a different podcast that you had accidentally stumbled upon. Um, I mean, I think we're doing a good job of that. But like, uh, I, I uh, uh, yeah, I, I I, think that's one of the reasons I love to read your writing, Roxana, because you really cut to the quick with, with hard hitting questions like which Ted Thank Lasso you. character would you sacrifice to Candyman? Yeah. And like, I think the answer has to be... Uh, Co- what's coach butt coach Bert? coach beard the second coach beard. in command coach, coach beard. beard yeah uh lib my wife who is a, a another tv journalist is just shouting at me from around across the room i am of course not a journalist at all i'm just a, a person that that is on a podcast sometimes <laughs> but uh coach beard i think would also be a really good because he doesn't yeah. talk a lot no. and like i feel like it's time to have like a mostly silent candy man i think that's okay. that, i, mean, I think we gotta branch out yeah, I. Why am I forgetting um, the the uh, the? Um, oh my God, Gino Tempo's character, Keely. 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 Yeah. Keely would also be a great Candyman. I think. I, yes. I, I think she'd be terrifying in her own right. Um, she actually kind of already is a little terrifying in her own right. Great accessories. Great as Candyman. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. A Candyman that haunts your local Forever Twenty One. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just talk about? Yeah, please. The Ted Lasso phenomenon. <laughs> so Ted Lasso what? I'm still pu- phenomenon because mm-hmm. I'm still like mm-hmm. puzzled by it. Yeah. Oh, please. I wrote a I wrote a piece about the show for a mm-hmm. site I used to work for called Vox, which mm-hmm. you, I used to be a, a loose corporate colleague of Roxana's and now I'm now I'm a free agent. I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Um but I wrote a piece where I thought I was kind of like, I don't want to say harsh on Ted Lasso, because mm. I generally liked the show. I didn't, this was after season one, but I kind of wrote a thing that I felt was like kind of being condescending toward the show. Okay. Um, where I was something like, I basically was saying, we want to imagine a world where people are nice. And, you know, this is a show that is like uninterested in anything that complicates that. And I thought I was like being sort of cutting about a show that people were wildly positive about. And that quote kept getting shared both by just randos on the internet and the Vox social media team as like, here's why Ted Lasso is the heartwarming show you need to watch right now. And I just like this thing where, and again, I don't hate this show. I haven't seen any of season three, but like, I I just, I, I think season three I just think there's not good, but like, I, I haven't seen it. I just have a feeling. A conceptual you know, just, vibe. You can feel the tremors all around you. you can. And it's, that's what they yeah. say. They say Ted Lasso season three. And they also, you know, are just like, like trying to let you know that fast X is going to be disappointing. Um, <gasps> but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I like the thing where we all decided it was the most heartwarming thing ever because it was a pandemic. And mm-hmm. then if you said, actually, I'm not feeling it, everyone got very mad at you. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's just a show that I find perplexing in a lot of ways because it's a, it's a thoroughly pleasant television program that somehow became our president. Like Joe <laughs> Biden is Ted Lasso, like yeah. in a lot of ways. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's... I. Not oh God, to make this episode. It's, episode, it's so true, though, that I'm episode. now like shook by the idea that Joe Biden is. 
Joe Biden just coming across a book on football and being like, what is this? <laughs> I what? do feel like. And then he trips over something. Do we? I, and I, I feel like maybe, Emily, we've discussed this, so forgive me. But there's a part of me that feels like, you know, when we were in the thick of the pandemic and mm-hmm. people were kind of running out of TV shows, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they were like, to check out this apple stuff because yes. like what else have i got yeah. to watch right and then because apple when it launched was a bit of a punchline it feels like everyone was just like clowning all over it and and rightly or wrongly that's what they were doing and then we got so quote-unquote low on content or new content that people were like i'm gonna go check out apple tv and then everyone was like this ted lasso is just lovely everyone this guy he's just look at him his mustache and his 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 accent and forgetting the fact that like this is a show based on a espn car- like commercial character or something along those lines all this is to say that like i think the show is is nice there's nothing evil or mean-spirited about it but also mm. people that until until Candyman enters yeah the, the realm Candyman. but all, all this is to say i i think the show is relatively benign roxana you might feel otherwise and that's completely justified um I know that it's weird that it became, as you said, um, Emily, this sort of rallying cry. It felt like everyone sort of just got around the show. Um, all this being said, this is an episode about Candyman. Yeah, it is. So I'm going to pivot us towards that very briefly. And can, I just, very briefly. can I just, yes, can I just, we'll plant, can I plant my flag in the ground and say I'm going to circle back and see why Roxana is like was like when mm, when you said it's it's a it's well no we can, uh, Roxana please, I, we're going to come back at the end okay like, we'll come back we're going to go full circle this is how flag, we're going to get all this is how we're going to get our Ted Lasso loving audience that might be skeptical of a <laughs> if candy you want to hear come back. Roxana's yeah. take you have to wait on, you got to wait you got to wait to the end yeah. of this episode so. Yeah. Here's my question to you, Roxana. I reached out to you and I was Mm -hmm. like, we'd love to have you on the podcast. And you gave me a a handful of films. I put your name on the list next to all those films. And this was the one that I sort of wanted to do first. It's a film I had never seen. So I've never seen Candyman. Um, Had you seen Candyman back in the day? And what sort of made this one of the films you wanted to talk about? Candyman? uh, Yes, I did see it. I don't know how far back in the day. It was part of the group of films that I saw Saturday afternoon or late night on UPN, just like left to my own devices in front of the TV. Uh-huh. So it was definitely part of like the Jacob's Ladder, The Crow, Pump Up the Volume, Candyman, <laughs> like that Classics. whole 90s era of cinema, which is just burned into my brain. So I think I was probably, I don't know, middle school, maybe something like that. Um, and I just remember being very captivated by it visually, being horrified of Candyman, and also thinking that the end was pretty great. And I'm pretty sure I saw it before I saw a lot of other horror. Sure. Like, I don't think I'd seen Carrie. I don't think mm-hmm. I had an idea of like the protagonist who comes back to get their sure. revenge. But all of that pretty much worked for me and I've gone back to it a lot over the years just because I also think it's such an interesting view obviously of like gentrification in the 80s and the yuppie phenomenon and like the predatory nature of academia and like all this other stuff that's happening in the film that like 12 year old me did not understand when I was just like super psyched about the bees <laughs> well, so here's a question I want to ask you guys. Um, Candyman hot? 
Is is Candyman hot? Oh, it's a good question. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) I think so. There's something Mm. kind of hot about him. And I don't just mean on a physical level, but there is this sort and I guess this, this expands outside of Candyman, but like there are a lot of horror villains, what have you, horror monsters that are sort of built in this intoxicating kind of, you know, forbidden fruit kind of thing that's going on. And I don't necessarily feel that way with Candyman per se, but I do feel like there's something going on with him and Helen for sure, right? Like there's a, there yeah. is some kind of a, a chemistry going on there. And they're definitely playing into how, you know, his his voice and his physique and like there's just he is an attractive figure mm-hmm. but uh mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it, so emily had you seen this film before yeah i didn't see it uh as as a, as a child i should have um i uh i was a this is like the first horror movie i was aware of like from the marketing where I was like, I want to see that. Cause the first, however many years of my life, I was like, horror is evil. It's about the devil and I should not watch it. And then I saw the ads for Candyman. And of course I'd heard like the bloody Mary legend that the, the, the Candyman, 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 I'm not going to say it five times. Cause I'm not actually times. looking in a mirror, but I kind of am. Um, <laughs> is, uh, do you, you know what? This is a hot take that we can do for mm. Candyman to Candyman 2021 two uh okay. which is is zoom a mirror like let's make this a pandemic <laughs> thing let's uh-huh. let's uh-huh. do Candyman meets unfriended i think i think we got I don't something know that here Candyman was successful enough that they're gonna make another one but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> you, you know who should make another candy man is a white lady um <laughs> Uh, uh, Emily like said Olivia Emily said Olivia Wilde Candyman coming to you in <laughs> 2024. I was aware that your alarms cursed. Yeah, cursed I was, product. I was aware of the movie and was like, "Oh, that's interesting. I want to see that." And then mm-hmm. I I think I I saw it time has no meaning to me. Uh, I think I saw it like around 2004, 2005, Bravo did a hundred scariest moments list, which I still go and watch on YouTube sometimes. And I believe Candyman was on there and I watched it because of that. And I was like, two of my favorite horror tropes are you are trapped in an eternal romance with a monster. You, you are a woman. There's a monster who thinks he's in an eternal romance with you. What do you do? And, um, there is a supernatural entity that is killing people and framing you for it. And Candyman does both. Oh. So it rules. Phil and I are talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula soon, which does the first, but not the second, do the which second. is why Candyman is slightly better than Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's, a that's the Mac. Oh, that no, it's take. no, Ooh, that's hot. No, that's hot. No, yeah. it's not hot at all. <laughs> it's icy cold. I think it's really I mean, pretty hot. Yeah, it's a pretty hot take. Yeah. It's pretty I, mean, I think I'm... genuinely, I will be very surprised if Candyman is not in my top twenty of nineteen ninety two when we're done. It's really? I think it's a fucking phenomenal movie. I, I mean, I so again, I came into this with very little knowledge of said Candyman. I, I knew that you're not supposed to say his name five times, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people had told me how much it like fucked them up as kids, like that it really genuinely scared them. Did so you know like, the song? Did you know the Sammy Davis Jr. song? I, I know of the Sammy James Jr. song. Great. Is cool. it? I, <laughs> is that no, it has nothing to do with this movie. Okay. okay. But for a long time, I, I was like, I missed something. 
For a long time, I was like, well, of course they named it after the Sammy Davis Jr. Obviously, song. of course. Yeah. There, I mean, it is. The, I mean, listen, I think the candy component of this also makes him scary, just to be clear. Like, oh, I, don't, sure. I, I, for sure. Yeah. But I, I really didn't know much about him. I think I might have known he had a hook for a hand. I think, I think that maybe was part of this too. Um, so when I hit play on this movie and that Philip Glass score kicks in, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> this is unsettling. I'm finding this really upsetting already. Now, as as I said to you, Roxetta, before we got on mic, and Emily, you know this, I'm a big scaredy cat. I don't have not seen a lot of horror movies. Um, as a kid, I was scared very easily, so I just didn't watch a lot of them. I've gotten better. Uh, I'm now 42, 43 years old. So I've I've grown up a little that I can now hit play on most horror films and I'm okay. But this movie, immediately I found myself unsettled by, because Philip Glass, as we all know, is an amazing composer and can just really kind of get under your skin. He made this score uh, essentially for a different movie. Like, I don't think that he really knew what he was signing up for. Like, I think he had ideas and then, you know, this movie came out and I don't think he's, people love the score, but he doesn't speak that fondly of the movie itself. Mm. Like, I don't think it necessarily meets what he originally wanted it to be. But this is all to say that I immediately was like unnerved by this. And then as I continued to watch it, I was, what really hit me and we sort of, touched on this a little bit earlier Roxana but it is uh a very rich text of you know as you were saying this idea of gentrification um slavery there's a lot going on in this movie um and I was just really impressed by it quite honestly about like its commentary and what it was saying um on top of all the performances and, and just sort of you know the unnerving um horror tropes that it's kind of also like even just the opening is kind of this deconstruction of like urban legends and horror and like it's even sort of being told to a second hand like it all kind of feels um very very astute of all of the stuff so much so that i kind of feel like maybe at the time it just wasn't like it was too smart for its own good if that's a, 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 you know, the right way to put it like it, i i feel like and this is my subjective memory of being alive in 1992. I feel like this movie was very well regarded. Like certainly there were detractors. It was not sure. like nominated for best picture. It was not like no. a hugely, but like sure. it felt like this was a movie that a lot of critics were like, Hey, this is a cut above mm. a lot of the horror we're seeing mm-hmm. right now. Cause that was horror was in a real doldrums at that point in time. So like it did feel sure. like people appreciated this movie, at least on the level of being like a really fucking good horror movie. And it was original, too, is sort of the thing as well. Like, at this point, and again, I am not a horror person. You're both obviously far more knowledgeable than I am about the genre. But in 92, we're already at a place where we've had many sequels to sort mm-hmm. of your your staple hardcore horror characters, right? So the fact that, like, a new one has come into the fold that actually really works, I imagine, you know, Roxanne, does that, does that speak to your knowledge of this genre? I think that's fair. I mean, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to place this compared with Hellraiser. Like, where were we in the Clive Barker horror era? Was this after Hellraiser? It was, right? This is definitely after. uh, 87 is the first Hellraiser. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and this is what sort of shocked me about reading about the film after, is I saw that it had like a C-plus cinema score, and cinema score means nothing. But at the same time, I was like, what is wrong with you people? (laughs) 
like, what is happening here? Yeah, like, what do you want? Like, what is this movie not giving you? Yeah, yeah. Our, I have no idea. Our podcast has a B-plus cinema score, and we're very proud of that. That's great. It's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, I think that I'm going to have a little, just a little bit of context for listeners. Synopsis this film, skeptical graduate student Helen Lyle, played by Virginia Madsen, befriends Anne-Marie McCoy, um, who, while researching superstitions in a uh, housing project on Chicago's nor- uh, near Northside. From Anne-Marie, Helen learns about the Candyman, played by Tony Todd, a knife-wielding figure of urban legend that some of her neighbors believe to be responsible for a recent murder. After a mysterious man matching the Candyman's description begins stalking her, Helen comes to fear that the legend may be all too real. Candyman opened on October 16th, 1992, against Under Siege, The Last of the Mohicans, Consenting Adults, and The Mighty Ducks. It would go on to make... $25.8 $25.8 million on an $8 million budget. Uh, it's got 79% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 63 from audiences. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit of Roger Ebert's three-star review. He quite liked the film. But before I do that, I do just want to say, you know, as our listeners know, I worked in many video stores over the years. This was a staple video rental. Like this was, this was again, this was a, a time, the 90s being that time where video stores obviously still existed. And you could make serious money off of these films and you know when you're behind that desk and you're seeing these films go through and you're seeing sort of these like staples this was one of them this felt like of the kind of genre of the horror pocket this was definitely one that i feel like was rented all the time but uh roger ebert said urban legends tap our deepest fears and one of the most subterranean involves the call for help that is laughed at or ignored we cry out again and again only to be dismissed by our friends or the 911 operator or strangers on the shore at the beginning of bernard rose's uh Candyman, we hear an urban legend about a woman in a high-rise public housing who calls for 911 but it's not taken seriously not long after her body is found savagely slashed to death the candy man has struck again it's all kind of intriguing elements of the plot may or may not hold up under the clear light of day but that didn't bother me much what i liked was a horror movie that was scaring me with ideas and gore instead of simply with gore. I mean, I think that I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. And and it is interesting that I mean, listen, Roger Ebert's a he's a moving target. That guy isn't always on point. And you know, when Kenny and I were doing our 99, all of the 99 movies, there was many a Roger Ebert review that would leave you scratching your head. But I do feel like he did get this, you know what I mean? Like this movie did hit him, you know, and I think that that's, I think that's interesting. I mean, so Emily, you saw this. When do you think you saw this? Do you have a general? I'd say idea? 2005, 2006. Okay. So you and knew I watched it, the, the lore. I, of I like watched it on cable TV. So like I saw it with commercial breaks, I'm sure they'd sure. cut some of the worst stuff out of it. Um, yes. I knew, I knew, I knew a little bit of the lore. I knew at the time, like, it had not been as reclaimed as it's become as like a horror film about race in America. And like, obviously that's all text. Like it's not, you don't have to look very hard to find it, but that I was like surprised by when I sat down and watched it, I was like, nobody's talking about this, but I'm sure they were. I was just a fucking dumb 20 something who wasn't like looking stuff up, but yeah, it, it was, so I knew the lore. I knew the rules. I did not know it was based on a Clive Barker story, but like, I, I you know, I, I and like, I do feel like this is one of those things that you just kind of know in your bones, like the phantom hitchhiker, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the idea of like, here's this story that every town has its own version of. What if you just found the one that was true? I find that very irresistible. And I think like 
that's why Kevin Williamson has a career kind of, because he just kept writing that. But like yep. this movie is, is I think the best version of that basic idea. I totally agree. It feels like it's, it, it I couldn't help but think of Scream a little bit as I was watching it and just of, of its acknowledgement and the metatextuality that's going on. It's not as overt as Scream. I mean, Scream is literally, you know, it's in your face. This movie at least feels a little bit more subtle. It's conscious of those things, but not going as far. I will say this, something I did not know. The sequel to Candyman, uh, Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, was directed by none other than Bill Condon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, wow. uh, that's a little piece of uh, trivia that I did not know, which came out in 95. And then they made another sequel that went straight to video uh, in 1999, actually. Uh, Candyman 3, Day of the Dead. And then obviously um, there was the 2021 film, um, which did, I mean, listen, it made almost $80 million on a $25 million budget. So it wasn't, you know, by no means a failure. But I do, I think it's interesting that Bill Condon made the sequel because <laughs> obviously the place, like, I think the thing you want to do with Candyman is tell a story about racism in America because we have so few horror franchises that are willing to sort of go there. And this mm-hmm. one is, but there is like a queerness inherent to all of this. There's like a very... There is an element of this movie where it's sort of like an all of Clive Barker giving yourself over to like a pleasure of the flesh and like letting go of your stayed ideas about like what it means to be, what it means to be human, but like also what it means to be like the rigid cishet patriarchal society that we all live in. And like, so I, it's interesting that Condon did the sequel because I think there is a very queer version of this story you could make if you really wanted to, and you were Olivia Wilde, who was directing Candyman 2021 too. Absolutely. Yes. She's really going to put that at the forefront. <laughs> she is, if she, there's two things Olivia Wilde understands, the history of race in America and queerness. So Female pleasure on screen. She's great at it. This is the most, wanna... <clears throat> this is the most oral sex you've ever seen in a film. Yeah, it's going to be all about the female orgasm. I believe the next Candyman is going to be about that. 100%. Yeah. I, I, I do um, want to unpack what you said, Emily, a little bit, because I do think that less the Olivia Wilde stuff, more the queer stuff, because I oh, do think that, it's, I know, it was, I, listen, it was one way, it was one path or the other, and I went with the wrong one. Um, I, I do think, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, Thomas Harris and uh, and Hannibal Lecter and all that stuff, right? Like, I think that, which again, obviously very, you know, just a lot of- Yeah, this, the, I, when you were talking about the history of horror at this moment, I was thinking Silence of the Lambs like looms over this movie in right. a lot of interesting ways. It does. Mm. And, I, and I do feel like even if you expand and just sort of look at the Thomas Harris universe, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? Like very grounded, right? Like it, it's, it's, it's all very much baked in, you know- uh, realism and 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 i think that what's interesting about this film and what's interesting about most horror is that it does play obviously in the fantasy realm and i think that's why you know the thomas harris stuff perhaps hits a vein with people in a different way because it just feels so practical and i think that um i i couldn't help but think a little bit of clarice with the with the character that uh, Virginia Madsen is, is playing in this there there's and, and there is kind of the Hannibal Lecter Clarice relationship going on with the Candyman um and what is forgive me her name Helen's character um also you know any movie that has a microfiche I'm gonna as far as I'm concerned like that, that's, all, that's always good um, I would say though that like microfiche. Helen is like sort of an idiot 
like Clarice, yes. you know, like Clarice, no, I'm like, like okay, no. you're going into this, you got research skills, sure, like sure. you're doing it. Helen, I'm like, you're just. Helen's not smart. Like Clarice has credentials and she's like actually going to be an FBI agent. Like there, there yeah. is, there is, I'm, love... I don't mean to equate them. But no, no, no. Some I'm just saying like, I love the dinner scene when Helen is like, we're going to kick your ass. And the guy's like, you don't even know that. <laughs> what you're doing, Helen. What but, are yeah. you even doing? Classic grad student behavior. Classic grad it's student true. married to a professor behavior. But this her idiot. friend Bernice, also from Sons of the Lambs. Uh, yeah. Casey Casey Lemons, who's become a director in her own right, and and uh, Bernice or Bernadette, I think she calls her Bernie. Okay, but I, yes, I think her name is Bernadette, but she calls okay. her Bernie. Yeah, um, I I feel like Bernadette, and this also plays into, you know, there is a little bit of uh, not a little bit. There's a lot of kind of white guilt going on with Helen's character, sure. and obviously uh, Bernadette, who is black is sort of approaching this in a different way. And I do kind of love that Bernie's like, maybe we shouldn't, like, maybe this isn't the right, like, and of course, Helen just thinking that like, I'm a white lady and everything's fine. And I'll just, it'll all figure itself out. I, I think there is an interesting kind of relationship going on between their two characters as well. And I think the thing too about Helen is I think once you know that Candyman basically thinks that she's the reincarnated version of his lover, how yeah. true that is or not. It's fun to then rewatch the film, considering that point of view, because then I do sort of forgive her dumbness a little bit more <laughs> because it's like, okay, you got activated yeah. to Emily's point into this like eternal love affair with this tortured man. I just want to go around the table real quick. Oh, please. A monster comes out of the depths of, you know, in the inferno. Sure. And is obsessed with you yeah. because you remind him of his long dead lover. Right. Yeah. I just go with it. I'm just of like, course. sounds good. I yeah. want to know about you two. How do you feel about that? I yeah, I, th I feel like yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like yes, if for no other reason, then I'm not sure I have much of a choice in the matter. It seems as though fate has just has deemed yeah. it so. Fate so has decided. Phil, also, I love you. You are the worst person to get trapped in this scenario because you'd just be like, I'm kind of scared right now, but this is fine, I guess. It's okay. I mean, that's me in every relationship, just to be clear, guys. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Helen's husband also, like, really sucks. Like, a lot. Oh, my mm. God. Xander Berkeley, always playing a scumbag. Always like... playing an asshole. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. that's fine. You let Would your she... new girlfriend paint the apartment, like, creamsicle Ugh. pink? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> when she breaks out, of the mental yes. institution mm -hmm. and goes home and her her husband's her beautiful home mistress who's yeah. like 22 at most like like is there and she's painted it just like like barbie pink pepto barbie pink i just was like you know what i candy man candy man candy man has done nothing as bad as this no Honestly, the fact that she doesn't kill them, I'm like, you know what, Helen? That's re that's growth because that bitch really needed to go. Come on, <laughs> that house is beautiful. She go at the it has end, so does she? many plants. No, just so many plants. It has like beautiful wood accents. Ugh. I mean, we haven't talked about the house actually practically, but I do think to your point of practicality, this is a very uh, like believable way for Candyman to travel. In between apartments, right? Like through the medicine yes. cabinet. 
There was a story a couple years ago about um, like some housing projects, I think in New York, Mm -hmm. that were plagued by like decades of crime where people were moving through the medicine cabinets and like the walls in between apartments. And the city was like, oh, it's fine, whatever. Um, But I remember reading it just being like, Candyman, like that is... Like, I am, I was just flabbergasted. But well, yeah, so I think there is this sort of like, this could happen to me in my home and I can't do anything about it sense mm-hmm. that is very effective. There was a TikTok, and forgive me because I hate yeah, I mean, those words. Wow, right okay. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. But there was a TikTok during the pandemic um, of what you're talking about, which is there was some young woman who was living in some New York or some industrial, you know, big city, whatever. And uh, she opened her medicine cabinet and there was nothing there. Nope. And Uh she crawled into it. No. And you see the TikTok go with her into, and I was just like, no, stop. Don't do this. Like you're in a horror movie. You're going to die. That's horrible. Um, and and I remember, if I can find it, I'll send it to you guys. Because it was one of those things where I was like, this is a horror movie. Yeah. And and it was it was one of those things where I believe it went viral because she went in and the camera went with her. And then it kind is of she stopped. she carrying the phone or is someone recording her? There, I believe she was carrying the phone. She was like okay. selfieing it as she was going okay. in. And then it kind of stopped. And everyone was like, I need part two. Or no. is she dead Horrible. in the walls somewhere? No. Awful. I... We have the descent. I don't need that shit. No, I missed everything that was said. And here's what here's what happened. It's fine. fine. My wife, Mm. all of a sudden, something started making a weird buzzing noise. Oh, Oh, yeah. On on brand. My wife, my wife came over and was like, what the fuck is that? And I was like, I don't know. So I muted myself because I didn't want the weird buzzing noise Mm -hmm. to be on the podcast. Right. And I started this like real sensual bony bear song started playing and Libby was like, that's your computer. And I was like, no, it's not. So if you watch this on Patreon, you'll see me lift my computer to my ear, which it was not. And like, I was like, Candyman's here. Like I said, (laughs) I said, I would love to get wrapped into an eternal romance with a monster. And he was like, don't mind if I do. Anyway, uh, somehow my phone had just started playing oh, this Boney okay. Bear song. No idea how or why. I blame Candyman. I think Candy that's the only reasonable explanation. Candyman said, I am the writing on the wall, and I'm here for you. <laughs> and I love Boney Bear. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah. I, I So I this is all just a long way of saying, to your point, Roxana, that, like, I think that what this movie does really well and it, in a spooky way is the interconnectedness of apartments that we don't think about, right? Like sure. architecturally speaking, this idea that like you are part of a labyrinth, whether or not you want to acknowledge this, like you were in a filing cabinet and these things are all connected. And, and I think that that mixed with um, some just really upsetting art direction and production design in this film, I mean, th- that whole complex is just obviously speaking to the unfortunate situations that so many people are, are currently living in, quite frankly, let alone in 1992. And I think the movie does a pretty good job of shining a light on that as well. Just this idea of just these these housing developments and um, how awful the, the circumstances are. I mean, so. I think it's it's two things. It's like the physical disrepair and disregard that they are in because the city chooses for it to be that way and because there are not resources going there. I mean, there's a great scene 
where Helen is like, oh, yeah, can you believe that my building was also once one of these buildings, but now it's like my fancy condo? Um, But then on the flip side of it, I also think that it's interesting that like Helen's building of bougie condos has no sense of community whatsoever. But then when you do go to this place where the Candyman urban legend has been around for decades and years, like this community knows its history and they tell it to Helen. They're like, yeah, go look in the newspaper, go read the news. Like we've been talking about this. We know our history. And I think that that is also a really interesting point that the movie is making too. Like what are people who are more well off or who are transient in a place or who are newcomers to a place? Like what are they allowed not to know what are they allowed to forget? And what do people who yes. have made this place their home for years, like, what do they have to carry? Yep. Um, but yeah, the movie is doing like all this stuff, right? I, I think about that a lot in terms of, obviously this film frames it through academia, but it's a very potent question in journalism, especially as we're living in this era where like journalism comes from an assumed white, straight, cis, usually male point of view, usually like Protestant too, but we don't really like, say that like that part's a little more written off but like then anyone who's from outside of that for instance i'm just gonna i'm just gonna put this through a trans lens for some reason if you're a trans person and you are writing about trans issues it becomes oh, are you an activist you know there is this thing advocacy that's inappropriate for journalism there is this yeah there is this thing of like when someone from a community shares their story or talks about something of importance to them, it is written off. Whereas when someone from outside of that community comes in and documents it, even if they document it 100% accurately, even if they do it in the perfect way, yeah. you know, they are treated as more objective. And I don't know that that's true. And I think that Candyman is in some ways about the fallacies of that thinking about the dangers of like, the, how hollow the ground you stand on is when you think that you uh, when you think that you are the person who's here to tell this story and to to um, um, figure out this particular puzzle. Which I also think makes the ending really interesting. And we don't have to jump ahead to the end. Yeah, but I'm just no, saying no, it's like the, yeah. it's almost like the ending then complicates part of what the film has been saying beforehand. But uh, but we I, I also feel time. like. This also feels like it's speaking to the situation that the filmmaker was in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a white man making this film. There were a lot of black filmmakers at the time that were not fans of this film. We're not fans of what this film was, you know, perpetuating in terms of stereotypes and what have you. And I don't think that they're wrong necessarily. I mean, I think that I, I understand if you watch this film, you know, through the lens of your own personal experiences and you say to yourself, you know, it's, it's, literally in 92 you've got the whole norman jewison tries to make malcolm x and spike lee is like you're not making malcolm x and right. you know what i mean it's it, it, it which you know is a precursor to a lot of the stuff that that we're you know we're, we're struggling with right now which is you know what is okay for for what experiences is it okay for you to try to you know illuminate i think that the filmmaker bernard rose who at the time spoke I think, you know, pretty articulately about what he was trying to do with the film. And and I think that it's a shame that, you know, he kind of didn't really have much of a career outside of this movie. It, it feels oh, like he was, he was Sorry, really Bernard. quite passionate about this film. And I do feel like, you know, the movie was successful enough. But again, you know, I don't think that people were ready to look at this film on a deep level. I think that it, it was kind of a very surface, you know, um, perspective on it which is a shame i mean i think that 
I, I think he was trying to do right by the things that he was making a comment on. Um, but yeah. I think, and obviously I'm speaking about this as an extremely white lady. You can look at sure. me. Like if you're watching the Patreon, you'll see how, Very just how white I am. I'm wearing pink glasses for God's sake. Sure. Obviously not only Porcelain white. Porcelain skin. Skin. Yes. The glasses are the same color as my skin is what I'm saying. <laughs> and um, I, uh, but I think that when, you know, you are telling a story about a, a, a fictional story, about a group that you're not a part of. It is very interesting when the protagonist, which Helen ostensibly is of this film, when the protagonist is also not of that group, how you are situating them. Sure. Like Helen goes into these, these housing projects with all of these sort of assumptions that are then disabused. Like the film, sure. I think, takes the characters who live there seriously, treats them as people, Absolutely. and like, but also lets Helen be kind of an idiot about it. Yeah. I think I think that there is like a tradition. Obviously, there's a tradition in American film of movies about white people like uplifting, you know, sure. other communities. But there's also this, also this tradition, particularly in horror, of like white people coming in and just making everything worse. And mm -hmm. like I think Candyman is like a really good example of that. Like this community doesn't need Helen here. She is just making things worse and i agree that ending sort of complicates that but like i'm yeah. i'm fascinated by how this movie is honest about that problem in a way that i think a lot of films could not be even today i fully agree with that i mean I, again i have not seen the most recent candy man but it feels like the most recent candy man struggles with trying to be a commentary to some degree it, it has very different thematic games i would say yes, and i think, I think so as well. yeah i think we can talk about it later like i, I like okay. it i don't think it's as good as this film but it, it certainly is it has different things it's trying to do i think I, it's I, trying to do things more explicitly also yeah. and i don't yeah. know if that's a successful way to mm. tell this kind of story which is so like we've said fantastical and bizarre and just interested in of course, it is interested in race, but I think it is also sort of just interested in other technical things that the film is like the art design, like all this other stuff, right? So I, I just I think that the new version sort of ignored some of those qualities mm -hmm. to be more specifically about race. And I, I don't necessarily know if that was successful. I also think that the 92 film is so sensual in a way that the 2021 film doesn't really attempt and i think that's key to the 92 films appeal i also think the second you introduce sensuality you're sort of playing with a powder keg that making the material more explicit ultimately would like kind of shoot it in the foot because then you have to start thinking about a bunch of other elements that this movie doesn't really touch on at all to its credit i think but it's definitely like the sensuality gets lost. And I think the sensuality is so important to a Candyman in general, but B any adaptation of Clive Barker just mm -hmm. across the board. <laughs> yeah. He's, he is definitely a very sensual writer. I mean, he is one of those guys that I, I would argue, you know, Hollywood hasn't really tapped particularly well. You know, I, I, he's got a lot of books and a lot of stories and I feel like, I mean, outside of Hellraiser and to some extent this franchise, 
I, I feel like it's a surprise to me that, you know, that books like Weave World and Magica and, and these sort of these big kind of almost Neil Gaiman-y kind of fantasy things um, that no one's tried to take a crack at those as well. I think this Hollywood? Like the Hollywood <laughs> well, that mean, we're I... dealing with right now? <laughs> well, listen, IP is IP and books are IP, but I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. it, it, is, it is definitely not um, as well known. So to your, yeah. to your point, I understand that. Um, but I am a little, like, I do think that like, you know, Neil Gaiman's sort of having a moment to some oh, degree. I don't, even, I don't even mean like that he's not well known. I mean yeah. that the sensuality is so key to the oh, work yes. that I yes, don't yes. trust Absolutely. a Hollywood adaptation of it. Like I didn't see New Hellraiser, but everything I, I heard about New Hellraiser is that like the sex is severely diminished and yes. the sex was like sort of the point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, it's, I, I would, I mean, listen, I guess I would argue that, that sensuality has been kind of removed and I don't want to get into a whole thing about like, you know, sex scenes and all the nonsense, no, 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 we don't have but to. I just mean like yeah. horror, it's such a key part of horror films, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's all about forbidden fruit. It's all about sort of temptation. And I feel like on top of everything else, um, and you mentioned this earlier, Emily, but like Clyde Barker's very obsessed with flesh and, mm-hmm. and sort of almost Cronenbergian in terms of this, like the vessel that we have the and body. what we're doing with the body. And, um, you know, and obviously Thomas Harris is, is as well, but all of that stuff feels like it's been stripped out of so much horror. Mm-hmm. It's all we're kind of really left with is sort of, I mean, the, the most recent Hellraiser I watched and I mean, I guess it was kind of creepy and kind of gross, but but ultimately it felt like a Saw movie. And and those mm-hmm. movies are just kind of tortured porny. And, mm-hmm. and that feels you know, like a different thing entirely. Even the like books that Clive Barker specifically wrote as like less sexual in nature, like he's written a YA series. He has The Thief of Always, which is, you know, not which is adaptable without removing too much. No one will adapt. Like there is this thing that is like, I think so inherent to his appeal is like, bodies are weird right we all agree <laughs> bodies are weird and what if like you just made them do other things like he writes a ya fantasy series at the height of like harry potter mania and like can't get arrested and it's pretty good like i i've I read it and it's just like i don't know there's something about him that uh will forever remain a cult sensation i think both to the frustration of his fans and the frustration of him yeah sure I mean, I think the Cronenberg thing is interesting, though, because like Cronenberg and forgive me if I'm forgetting something, but like his stuff is pretty terrestrial. Like he doesn't ever really go fantasy. His stuff tends to be pretty grounded and like, you know, body horror. Like, like it's hard it, sci fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Like, mm-hmm. just thinking about what you said, Emily, about, like, bodies are weird. I mean, Crimes of the Future is all about bodies are weird. The fly. I mean, yeah. the brood video drone. Like, that's Cronenberg's whole so, bag. Yeah, there is yeah, something yeah. about, there is something about body horror that it feels like cinematically we're more willing to accept it if it's sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is. I don't know why, I don't know why our brains work that way, except, I don't know, maybe I just keep trying to make a David Cronenberg as Canadian joke, and it doesn't make any sense. So, listeners, well, listen, send in your Canadian, favorites. I'm going to say, fuck that. But listeners, I'll just say- send in your favorites. Just tweet at Phil. <laughs> tweet yeah. them to Emily. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I listen, I, I think Cronenberg's great. Uh, I love him. I think that this movie is obviously doing something completely different. I, yeah. I, I think that, I mean, these type of horror films, and again, just to, you know, I don't know a ton about this genre, but it does feel like... Um, they seem a little less scary when it's 
heightened to this point, right? Because you're just like, well, that's not really plausible or possible. Whereas I don't really think that Cronenberg's really trying to like scare you. I think he's just kind of being like, this is gross, huh? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know that's that fair. he's ever like, I, I don't think that his movies are necessarily scary, right? Like, like, I don't know. I don't, I, I, mean, I they're, they're too I think cerebral. the fly is scary because it's grotesque. I think that he, sure. I think that Cronenberg is like incrementally interested in scaring you, but I don't yeah. think he's necessarily interested in like the impact of being scared sure. and how that sure. affects your decision-making and who you are. He's Whereas sure. I think, I'm sorry, Emily, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I think he's interested in disturbing you. He wants yeah. to get under yes. your skin yes. and I Clive Barker that. wants to pull your skin away from your body. 100%. You know? And he wants you to like it. Clive yeah, wants you. like you're gonna like it. It's gonna feel good. <laughs> um, a little. There were a couple of things I wanted to bring up in terms of the production of this film, just very briefly. The first is that Alan Poole, who is a producer of this film, said that Virginia Madsen, uh, there was it looked like she was going to become unavailable, and their number two choice was Sandra Bullock, which I think is amazing. <laughs> What a career that could have been! A very Olivia Wilde. Please reach out to Sandy. Get for your Sandy in your candy version. Man. Get Sandy on the phone. Listen, if Olivia Wilde announces a Candyman twenty twenty one two that is about Sandra Bullock as like a well meaning boomer white lady who tries mm-hmm. to like understand Emily, race relations, it's her character from The Blind Side. She yes, changes careers. Yes. If it's also a Blind Side sequel, yeah, I am so in. That sounds so good. Yeah, where are our residuals? Yeah, seriously, guys. Like, I mean, why are you giving this away for free? Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I love is that Tony Todd negotiated a bonus of a thousand dollars for every bee sting, um, and he was uh, he was stung twenty three times. So that guy made twenty three oh, grand off of hey, bees. Hey, Phil, can I also negotiate a thousand dollar bonus yes. for, for every bee sting? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Are there are there stingerless bees? Could they have these just like... were st- so these were trained bees i'm okay. putting that in quotation marks because apparently there was a bean trainer and this person said because as anyone who has seen Candyman, he's covered covered in bees, right in bees. So like there's yeah. hundreds of bees on him yeah so you know the bee people are like these bees aren't going to sting you except for the 23 that did like i feel like it's just sort of they're they're probably saying like there's a 75 percent chance this will be fine and yeah you know and sometimes it wasn't yeah I got After... stung by a bee on my first day of kindergarten. Oh, yeah, it was very. That sucks. Yeah, it wasn't great. After seeing this movie, every time I yes. see somebody like with their mouth clamped shut, I just assume it's full of bees. Yeah. I just assume <laughs> that if they open it, bees Absolutely. are going to come pouring out. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Question: The big bee moment, right? The moment that is that is behind Emily uh, on her on her Zoom. Yeah. Um, Where he's like, "Yo, let me put my bees into you." Moment, it's like a sex right? thing. Yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> It's like mm-hmm. he opens his mouth, and and apparently Virginia Madsen uh, allergic to bees. No. <laughs> so there was this whole thing where she was like, "I think I might be allergic," and the director was like, "It'll be fine." <laughs> and like she apparently was fine and did not get stung, and I'm okay. amazed that she put herself in the situation. But it's kind of hot, like the way he's sort of like he's opening his mouth and he's giving her the bees. It's like it's kind of he's this cradling oddly her sexual body. Thing. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you're my, you know, reincarnated lover. (laughs) Candyman's appearances in this film, which are actually not that, like, he's not in the movie that much. I mean, I think he's probably got, like, Tony Todd has probably less than 
20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes of screen time. And I'm being generous, I think. Probably like a dozen scenes. Right. And he, he's like, he is lines. really, he is really Hannibal Lecter. Like, yeah. it's a similar yeah. vibe. And, but is. he mm-hmm. looms over the movie so large that, of course, Tony Todd won the Best Actor Oscar. Yes, he did. So. In 1982, he beat, yeah. uh, he beat Denzel Washington for Malcolm X. And um, Al Pacino. I can, <laughs> I can, for I can abide a lot of jokes, but that one I'm like, Denzel deserved it, though, you know? Denzel he did. did deserve yeah. it. Yeah. Listen, we, as we said on our Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, Al Pacino should be given supporting actor, then he gets his Oscar, and Denzel wins best actor. That's what should have gone down. But I mean, listen, it is. What we it all is. fucking know Al Pacino should have won supporting actor for Dick Tracy. Uh, just if they had just also done true. that. Also I mean, like, true. obviously, he should have won like something for one of the Godfathers. That feels yeah, like a safe maybe. bet. But yeah. you know what? If they weren't going to do that, Dick Tracy. That's the way to go. So yeah. Emily and I and Libby went to see Dick Tracy at the Academy Museum here in Los Angeles. I don't even remember when it was. Emily, was it ten years ago? Like I just it was, la- it was last June. It was last June. <laughs> it was last yeah. June. Um, it was yesterday. And it was yesterday. <laughs> and uh, Emily and I, big Dick Tracy fans, were really jazzed. We couldn't wait to watch it. We watched it and then we left the theater. And Libby was like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah. Did you guys see the thing where Warren Betty like? interviewed himself as dick tracy yeah keep the right okay okay listen i think i think we should give warren Beatty the rights to every piece of ip but to keep it he has to every few months like do a new special that airs on tcm i think you know i think we're stuck in ip hell right now in terms of what what you can agree so warren Beatty gets all the ip if you have not watched the video our listeners should watch the video if for no other reason than Warren Beatty basically just being like, listen, I could die. I don't know. Dick Tracy might live on. Hard to say. Like, it's all very sort of, it's it's very odd. But long story short, Wait, I, Denzel Washington should have won Best Actor, obviously. What is best. Annette doing, like, when this is happening? Is this, like, in his house? Is she just, like, poking I, her head in the I wish door? I knew. It's almost certainly the same thing as like what my wife is doing when I record this podcast. She's just like, well, Warren's on Zoom again. He's probably talking to Dick Tracy. They're probably doing a TCM special. Is Leonard Maltin there? I, I am in the I am near the tail end of a of a Sopranos rewatch, which I had I have not watched it since it came out. Annette Bending's appearance in Test Dream is amazing and and bizarre and wonderful. And I want to know, I need someone to do an oral history of the Test Dream episode and explain to me why Annette Benning is in the episode. Like, how did that happen? How did yeah. that happen? Uh, she's so game. Um, I just love it. But all and that, that being seems said, fun. She seems like she would be a good dinner party guest. She seems like a good hang. She sure. should have yeah. She should have won an Oscar for 20th Century Women. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah. yeah. She, yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is worth noting about this film is that exterior hallway and stairway scenes were filmed for a few days at the actual infamous Cabrini Green housing projects, though the producers had to make a deal with the ruling gang members to put them in the movie as extras to ensure the cast and crew safety during filming. Uh, even with this arrangement, a sniper put a bullet through a production van on the last day of uh, filming, but no one was injured. Uh, that sounds like bullshit. Yeah, I don't know about the sniper part. Sniper part I, seems I fake. I, okay. I mean, I, this I, all this all just seems like a thing that you like. It seems like a thing that has like a core of something where someone yeah. was like, "Well, you know, there were some 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 of the extras were like gang members," and then it just gradually turns into, "Well, of course, we were all in danger all of the time." Everyone was in danger. There were Listen, snipers on every single rooftop. I am not. I am. Uh, I am not going to die on this hill. 
Uh, you guys might very well be right. This was information I found I just, on on the always right internet. Here's so, here's the thing. I am 100% sure that that was printed in like a newspaper or a magazine sure, or sure. something. I'm also 100% sure that the reporter who took those notes down just very credulously never followed up on them and was just like, I'm sure that's right because it's Cabrini Green. It, sound, yeah. it feels like bullshit to me. But if Bernard Rose wants to hop on the line and say it's not, you know, who am I? I don't to know say that he's no? still with us. He might be. Uh, but but all this, this is all. I'm that's just, how he that's how he could just join us out of nowhere he's true. been trying to seduce me with bony bear <laughs> so <laughs> sweet spill sweet that's um, his I, so i think it's i i just kind of wanted to talk a little bit um you know not so much about the plot of the film but i do think that it's worth kind of unpacking the beginning portion of this film when sure. you've really sort of got helen uh overly confident i guess is the best way to put this in terms of what she's going to be capable of actually doing with this book that she's writing with bernadette um they're they're doing a thesis my apologies on a book there's this thesis well a good thesis can turn into a book sure yes so yeah totally yeah. um it, it is interesting um the whole like helen and her husband going to dinner with this candy man expert or the town's candy man expert yeah that dinner was crazy i've never seen that many cigarettes smoked at a dinner in my life i was just like this is just their chimneys these the four yeah. of them are just crazy it's a different time in the early 90s i guess uh so yeah th this this whole like sort of legend that is unpacked that the Candyman was this guy named uh, daniel robitaille an african-american man born in the late 1800s as a son of a slave grew up to become a well-known painter after he fell in love and impregnated a white woman his father her father sent a lynch mob after him, the mob cuts off his right hand, smeared him with a honeycomb stolen from an apiary. Is that how you say it? Apiary? Is that apiary. Bee thing? Bee home? Apiary. apiary. Mm -hmm. uh, attracting bees that stung him to death. His corpse was burned in a pyre erected on the site of where these Cabri Green homes were eventually built. Um, and his ashes scattered. Don't forget about his scattered yeah, and his, ashes. And his ashes. I, I kind of, this whole portion of the movie where like, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, there's like a massive info dump, right? Like they're at this dinner and we need, and we just need to get all this information out. Um, I do wish, not that necessarily I saw all of this because it sounds terrible and I don't need to see this necessarily, but I did feel as though, you know, it, it's kind of, to have it so much of it off screen felt a little weird to me too. Oh, I you love that it's off screen. And the yeah. 2021 version does give you this oh. in like a, it's what, like stop motion animation? Yeah. Or just it's like, like, paper, it's like Wait, paper cut. Are you yeah. serious? Paper cut animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oof. Okay. It's, I mean, that's a I choice. Think, I think it, I think you need to obscure it somehow. I think yeah. that okay. if you actually depicting it would break the movie. And I think the choice to just have Fair it enough. delivered by a British man who's like kind of an asshole, mm -hmm. like, I think I think that works, even as it's like an inelegant scene. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the New Yorker talk from Tar, where you like mm -hmm. open the movie with this whole thing sure. that is like giving you all the information about this character, but also like laying out the moral stakes of the movie in essence, which is like these people don't understand that other people exist or matter. And I feel like this scene is kind of doing the same I just blipped out and Candyman appeared. Every time you blip out and Candyman <laughs> just appears, it is upsetting. I also like that you get sort of the, again, to go back to objectivity and subjectivity, 
you're getting this like objective truth of what happened to compare with what the people who actually live there are talking about what the impacts of that violence were and so i sort of like that we do not really get a this is what happened definitively period underline etc like there is some more imagination that we're allowed to sort of understand how he became Candyman, because there's no real explanation for why he's called Candyman, right? Like, not really. They leave him candy. Yeah, yeah, that's that you have. It's also like, it's a thing that the 2021 movie struggles with, which is like, Candyman doesn't make a lot of fucking sense. Like, he's like, okay, he has a hook, but also he's bees, and also there's candy, and it's just like all these things, and they're united you know, in Clive Barker's mind by sensuality. It's like mm-hmm. the bees are kind of sensual. The hook mm-hmm. is kind of, it's going to penetrate you sensually. Yeah. You know, candy is like this sweet thing that like lures yeah. you in. And the 2020, 2021 movie tries to sort of like explain it all Over away. explain, yeah. And with the second you start explaining it, you're like, wait, this makes no fucking sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, yeah. I do like, and I think, what I like about the scene that we're discussing in, in the 92 film is like, it is an attempt to explain it. And you're like, this makes no fucking sense. So then every, but every time you see Candyman, you're like, but it does like, he makes sense. Yeah. Trying to, I think that trying to put boundaries on the supernatural mm-hmm. is the problem we're discussing here, which is like a, a frequent problem in American horror, which is like, we have to make sure we have all the rules and all the explanations, you know, um, and I think that Candyman really excels in kind of doing both. There is a canonical explanation for why this guy is here, but actually meeting him, you're like, well, none of that, none of that tracks with this person I'm seeing before me. Right. And I also think the thing that doesn't really get talked about necessarily is like, what is Candyman's end goal? Yeah. <laughs> What is his end game? <laughs> what is his end game? But I like that we don't, you know, like yeah. he's just killing people. He's summoned in the mirror. He's stealing babies. And we don't, I mean, you guys are both saying it and I absolutely agree. Like, I don't need this stuff to be explained. I think that it being told to us at this dinner perpetuates the the sort of the urban legend of it all, the secondhand, you know what I mean? Hearing right. all this stuff about him is creepier being told that way i mean it is interesting so so tony todd appears in the i don't know how many of the final destination movies but he's in the first one anyway where he plays this sort of this coroner this guy who works in a morgue who sort of explains death essentially like you can't Mm -hmm. cheat death it's gonna get you no matter what and i feel like you know the whole less is more notion of like just keep, just give us the bare bones of what we need to know in order to be able to go on the ride. Don't over-explain it. So it seems like the new one over-explains it because someone was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. We got to, we got to, you know, we got to really break oh, this yeah. down. Yeah. Studio notes. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, I think, and I think the first one is like so committed to the idea that this will be about exploitation and gentrification and racism and oppression that like everything, every element of the film has to then tie back to that. Sure. Whereas I think something like how does the candy make sense? Like, you know, like you can leave these loose threads. The first one does leave a lot of loose threads, which I I think think are more interesting to ponder over. I I do want to say, it, maybe listeners are hearing my baby crying in the background. As somebody with a four-month-old, mm. when Candyman kidnaps a baby, 
Yeah. And then I was like, there's just this baby laying in his lair. And I was like, so is Candyman like, because this, the movie, the baby's kidnapped and gone for like a month. There's Candyman. Um, I was like, is Candyman just doing feeding the baby? And then they show Candyman feeding the baby. Yeah. And I'm just imagining Candyman being like, sorry, I was late, Helen. I had a 4 a.m. feeding. I am so fucking I'm, I'm tired. I am so tuckered. Yeah. It, it's, it is interesting. I don't know. Like, it, I guess it just goes to show, to your point, Roxana, that, like, there's some things that we're willing to like, like the whole buy-in when it comes to movies is, is constantly a movie target. Right. I mean, as mm-hmm. someone who writes and it, you, you're constantly playing that, like, how far can I push this? How much information do I have to give? Because, you know, as anyone who, you know, watches movies, exposition sucks. Like it's a necessity in order to keep moving the plot, but it's hard. And I think that this just goes to show that, um, sometimes you don't need it. If you feel like you're in the hands of a filmmaker and in performances, it comes back to the whole, we had this whole discussion on the other podcast as well on 99, but like intent, right? Mm -hmm. Like as a viewer, if you feel intent and you feel like someone's got their hands on the wheel and you feel like you're in good hands, it almost doesn't really matter what information is being given to you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. As long as you feel confident as a viewer to watch it. And, and it just goes to show, I guess, that the 2021 version perhaps just didn't have full you know control of the wheel and i think the thing about this movie is like i hate to be the millennial who says vibes but atmosphere in the first movie is so effective i mean i don't need more explanations because there is just the ominous sort of alluring compelling quality of todd's you know, whispered voice on the wind sure. calling to Helen. And that's a lot of, I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the production design is completely different, but there's that same sort of you're being pulled. Yes. The protagonist, the object of desire is being pulled and there's not much you can do about it. And I think that's what Candyman effectively does for us as the audience. Whereas it felt like the new one, we don't need to talk like for a super long time about the new one, but the new one felt like it kept checking in on us as the audience. Like, do you get it? Like, do you mm-hmm. like do you understand where I'm taking you and what I'm saying? And I don't want that. Leave me alone. Like, let me enjoy your film. <laughs> I will say, I will say, I think, I think, 
I think the new one ends in an interesting place. Mm. I think the way that it ultimately settles on how to use the Candyman legend and like literally the last five minutes is like kind of a cool idea. And like, if they were to make a sequel to it, not directed by Olivia Wilde, like, I think that's an interesting place to pick up the story. I don't think I but remember, it, Emily. Can it, you, can you share? It, if you don't want to be spoiled on this, skip ahead like a minute. So um, the, the big idea of Candyman 2021 is that like Candyman is like kind of a, a hive of different black men who've been killed by uh, states sanctioned violence one way or another. Mm-hmm. And the movie ends with um, Yahya Abdul-Mateen's character who is playing Anthony from the, the baby from this movie, yes. all oh, grown wow. up. That's interesting. And okay. so he uh, is turned into basically an avatar of the Candyman by <laughs> by Coleman Domingo in like the movie's worst thing. Like Coleman yeah. Domingo's great, but he's playing a character that makes no sense. There's Candyman. Um, the uh, but he's turned into an avatar of Candyman and then killed by the police. And mm, his yes. uh, girlfriend is taken in by the police, and they are like just say that he was coming at us. We'll let you go. Otherwise this is going to get very complicated for you. And she's like, okay, I agree. I'll do that. And she's in a police car and she says, just turn the rear view mirror so I can see it. And she of course yes. says Candyman. And then the police officer says Candyman the last time. And Yaya Abdul-Mateen jumps out and stabs her in the very end of the movie. It just is Tony Todd looking at the camera and saying, tell everyone. And it kind of rules. And like, mm-hmm. it left me so charitably disposed to a movie that I think, I will say in general, I think the kills in that movie work well in a way like they're staged inventively. They're staged in interesting fashion. It's just that they're constantly being like, do you understand that this is an important subject to talk about? Yes. It's the um, it's it's not understanding that get out doesn't make a lot of literal sense. It just makes like like emotional yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, <clears throat> I also this is just a pet peeve. I'm very tired of like the artist character and i feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of new horror is sort of focused on the idea of like the artist is here but that's just a specific annoying pet peeve but i remember the Candyman, the new Candyman, having a scene at a gallery that both was pretty slick visually and very annoying in its dialogue if i'm remembering correctly yes yes yeah i i do think that this this movie also does a lot of interesting stuff with um i mean i don't know how else to say this but mental health mm-hmm. um you know what i mean in terms of as as ebert refers to in his his review of like people believing me um and that there's there's nothing scarier than you knowing something happened and people refusing to believe you like it's that, that notion of like i mean personally speaking the idea of being like put in a mental hospital unjustly you know what I mean? And and that you're not crazy, but everyone is telling you you're crazy. It sounds horrifying and awful. And I do think that Helen um, goes through the ringer on that sort of shit in this movie, especially sort of act two, top of act three. You're really starting to see that um, no one will believe this woman. No one will believe this person and what's what, what has obviously happened to her. And also just sort of the the physical abuse that she takes is also just really horrific i mean that when she takes that that hook to the face you're just like jesus christ i mean this movie is it's it's not fucking around i mean she wanted to know what it was like nobody listens to the community either right like that's the entire point of the urban legend like that's her going through the microfiche they can say what's been happening to them and no one takes them seriously 
I mean, listen, if you're being stalked by a supernatural menace who believes you're the reincarnation of his dead love, as has happened to me before, he has to put in a lot of work to separate you from your friends, from your career, from your life. And you know what? It's kind of like in the end, you're like, this is kind of hot, right? And then your girlfriends are like, girl, no, this is abusive. And you're like, no, it's kind of hot. No, he wants to take care of me. I want that. I mean, too. you're describing a little more Dracula than this movie, though, because like I feel like, you know, Dracula's he's definitely, definitely he's definitely trying to isolate her so she'll die and join him. Like it's it's you know I I think in both films that's true. Yes, um, I, I think so, that he I think Candyman is more malevolent toward Helen though. Yes, than mm-hmm. Gary Oldman is toward Winona. Uh-oh. Well, if 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 the set reports are to be true, yeah, that Gary is Oldman in real life. Very malevolent toward Winona cool. and Uma. Gary Oldman sucks. Sucks. Oh yeah, yeah. Just a bad it's unfortunate. Person. And this, and not. I mean, like Dracula might be peak Gary Old. I mean, the nineties yeah. are peak. Gary Unfortunately, Oldman. Dracula rules, but like he he's rule. the worst. Yeah, yeah. He is darkest the worst. hour. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, don't even. Jesus yeah. Christ, I can't believe yeah. we gave him an Oscar. Quite honestly, horrible trash. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but all this is to say, um, that Helen sort of goes through the ringer. She there's this whole like she's knocked out. She wakes up in the the apartment. She picks up a murder weapon. Don't do that. Don't that ever scene pick is up amazing. A weapon. That is, is like the movie going into yes. kicking into gear. Yeah, but it's upsetting, and it's oh, also 100%. just like she. It, it's it's clear in that moment that she is for her skis. <laughs> like she is not ready for this shit. Um, I, I mean, the, the undressing scene at the police station is really upsetting. Um. There's sort of that the again, I mean, it's a bit of a trope of the genre, but like being arrested for a crime that you're that you're not you didn't commit, um, you know, is sort of what it is. Um, And then you've got this sort of weird dynamic that starts to unfold between Helen and Trevor, where like Trevor doesn't really know to trust her. And I would just argue as an as a viewer, I do not trust Trevor. (laughs) Like. Trevor is those sweater vests like I don't trust I don't trust what's going on um and then you have Bernadette unfortunately getting killed like it's all kind of compounding and this movie it should be said too and this is something that I don't know about you Emily but I'm very much enjoying about our our jaunt through 92 is short movies 90 minute movies remember 90 minute movies when like I just watched I watched Basic Instinct last night and like that's you know yeah. by modern standards it's a short movie but I was very much like and I had a I had a, I had a great time with that movie but it very much is like there's like 15 minutes you could have gotten Absolutely. out of this Candyman would have sliced him out <laughs> I, I I think that yes my my point more than anything is yeah, for that sure. <laughs> movies have just gotten so much there's so much air and so much fat on them now it's, it's out of control but like even the longer movies we've watched for this okay not chaplain sorry i forgot about chaplain but even the longer movies we've watched for this have felt like they have a purpose behind their length in a yes. way that i think a lot of modern movies don't last of the mohicans being an example of that where you're just mm-hmm. like this is this has earned its length and it's not even that long really but like i it is just interesting how I don't know if it's because getting people to go to the movies is the tickets are more expensive and people want more bang for their bucket. I don't know. But personally speaking, this idea of like 15 to 20 minutes of trailers, if you're lucky, and then a two, two and a half hour movie, it's just like, this is just, this doesn't need to be like this. And this, I feel like this movie moves at a clip. Like it's really tight and it, 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 
it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's really sharp in terms of knowing where it wants to go and getting there in a really sort of smart and, and effective way. But there's a couple of things that I want to mention. Candyman floating over Helen's bed in the hospital is fucking rad. Uh, it's just, it's hot. He's just, hot. It, hot. It's, it also just looks super cool. And I know yeah. that it's all practical, but like, and when he jumps out the window, like all this stuff is just so practical and awesome. And, you know, despite the fact that we've we've discussed that that the lore of Candyman might not make a ton of sense, he rules. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. His like rib cage bee breastplate, the best. The best. The best. I mean, it doesn't look like fun to wear, but like it it looks awesome. I I yeah. I would argue that now I kind of want to watch the sequels, even though I'm sure they're not very good. But like he, it just feels like Candyman didn't get his due back in the day and now it feels like this reboot unfortunately doesn't give it you know what he deserves either. i think i think the reboot is worth watching okay. i ultimately yeah. liked it i think especially the the sequences where they just let Candyman be fucking candy man sure. are pretty good um are pretty great there's um a really great smash cut from who the fuck would ever say Candyman fire to a bunch of like pretty white teenage girls, <laughs> like absolute morons? Yeah, yeah. it's just like That's great. so. There are some really good sequences in it. I think that the the connective tissue, which is we have to make the theme themes clear, is yeah, kind of kind of a yeah. mess. I did not like it, but I think it's <laughs> worth watching from a visual perspective. Sure, because I think it's good to look at. I just. Yeah, I'll, I will check it out at some point. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere, and I'll I'll, give, on... it a, I'll give it a watch. Peacock, probably. HBO? Peacock, yeah, maybe something. Yeah. So I want to talk about the end of the movie. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. I mean, is I guess the only way to describe it is a sort of white savior situation where like Helen saves this little baby and is burned to death in the pyre that they've created for Candyman. Is that am I am I am I describing that I think accurately? There's, I think there's some weird mythical stuff happening at the end. Okay. Because they have yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying because like at first it seemed like the bonfire is a celebratory thing or even an offering to Candyman. Yep. And then it becomes the vehicle for Candyman's death. And I don't know if it's just that I misunderstood the film or if it sort of like changes tactics. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, yeah. I think i think it's definitely like the movie just randomly shifts gears into an ari aster movie where mm-hmm. it's like and now folklore and you're like sure. okay sure i'll go with it and like i think i i don't know i think it definitely is like i think we are supposed to understand less Okay. than is happening yeah. i think that's a good quality i wonder if there's like one or two other tidbits that could have been dropped to help you sort of grab hold of something mm-hmm. i was thinking about this yeah. earlier when we were talking about vibes versus explanations and there's this ongoing debate uh not it's not so much anymore but like five years ago everyone was arguing about what is elevated horror mm. and i think a24 effect yeah. i think the more i think about it i think elevated horror just means horror that's mostly vibes you know Mm -hmm. as opposed to horror that has like you know rules Uh and obviously everything's a gradation you know something like um hereditary has 
rules. It's just that the protagonist doesn't fucking understand any of them sure, and therefore right. is trapped. In, and I think, I think Candyman kind of plays in that space of like, there are rules. The protagonist thinks she understands them. And then she realizes she understands very little of them. And she ends up sort of trapped in the thing where she just had to sort of intuitively find her way through it, mm-hmm. saves a baby, kills Candyman, or does she? Um, and then like they paint a mural of her and she gets to kill Xander Berkeley, which is, you know, living I mean, the that's dream. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll say that saying Helen five times is less scary than saying Candyman five times. For sure. Yeah. Have you tried it, Phil? Honestly, I never know. I Helen. will say, and, and this is like the Candyman thing is that I, I'm, I'm never doing it. Helen. <laughs> Helen. Emily, stop it. This is, Helen. I mean, <laughs> Emily, I swear to God. I, I think saying Before. Karen five times might actually be scarier than saying Helen five times. But she does show up at the end as sort of the new, I don't know, the new Candyman or the, she's, I don't know, the bride of Candyman. That is, that is a thing that the, the 2021 movie plays with, I think is interesting, which is like, you can become part of Candyman. Like you can, yeah. like Candyman oh. is like a concept that you can get sucked into. Okay. Um, but yeah. Like the, a revenge the... vendetta that just consumes you. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I yeah. think the funeral is interesting because <laughs> are they mourning her? Right. I mean, so like you have, you have like Trevor, <laughs> And his like barely of age, non bra wearing. Yeah, new can we talk about that for a second? Like, girlfriend. I was not into the objectification of of the like braless girlfriend. I don't know. There was something about it that. I mean, it's whatever. There's <laughs> it's yeah. Their nipples. I, I, I mean, who cares? You know, whatever. I mean, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm just yeah, thinking so of like... the director. Anyway, sure. we've all been Xander Berkeley's younger girlfriend. It's okay. We can <laughs> admit. It. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. yeah so, like, there, it's just hilarious that she came to the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, the procession of the people from the apartments come, and, like, it's Jacob, and it's, you know, and he throws the hook in there. And so, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's purposefully ambiguous about whether they're like, oh, hey, thank you so much. Or if they're like, hey, you suck. Here's a hook. Like, I, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the message is muddy at the end. Yeah, I think. But I like that. I think I sure. like I like that too. I think you want in horror, you want your protagonist to often you want your protagonist to have a win that feels like a loss or a loss yeah. that feels like a win. Sure. And this kind of plays both sides of that aisle in an interesting way. If it was just like the, the Vanessa Williams character popping up and being like thanks for saving the baby that was wonderful we love that thank you like that would feel a little bit more white savory if it was like everyone coming and spitting on her grave you know that would that would feel a little you know it is this thing where like all of this happens and you just imagine xander berkeley's new girlfriend being like this is kind of weird what's happening yeah it's a real you know what it is it's truly like a thank you but fuck you and i think that i think that's good it's like you like saved that. that baby, and that's the one good thing you did for us. Yeah, you yeah. potentially got rid of Candyman, but like, also, what the fuck? We're gonna paint the layer with you. Yeah, I, I don't know. But here's the thing: Did you think that they painted the layer? Because I sort of thought that the mural just like materialized with her appearance. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's interesting too is it's kind of the same ending as Bram Stoker's Dracula as well, because it's the yeah. shot of them. 
of Mina and Dracula up in the very, there's a lot of similarities between these movies yeah. that I just never really put two or two together on. What but yeah, time. I, I do time. think that it's probably more of a manifestation than the, the apartment mm-hmm. uh, community painting it. But. but why not manifest in her own bougie condo building? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's what should that would be amazing. She's like, you do anything fucking wrong in this building (laughs) and I'm here. Yeah, that would have been. Um, So I before we get to I um, hope she repaints the apartment, too. You know what? That's what I hope Helen ghost Helen the the girlfriend is doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Before we get to the aforementioned. Do we we think Helen kills Stacy? Do we think Helen? No, no. Okay. Yeah. I think she lets Stacy go. Yeah. Well, I also feel like. Stacy finding Xander's body is kind of, you know, fucked up too. Like you're kind of fucking up by making her see that. <laughs> just like, yeah. I I want to. I want. This is what the world needs. The world needs a Candyman side quill about Stacy, and I'm going to write it. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. I mean, would watch. Stacey, That's the Stacey Olivia Wilde leaves movie. the university and like goes back to I don't know Vermont or something. Iowa, Dubuque, yeah. Iowa. Whatever. Yeah, that was going to be my pitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever um, she so becomes before, a fox news blonde because she's seen 100%. it all yeah. before we get to the ted lasso thing that we mentioned earlier <laughs> <laughs> which we need to obviously come back to oh, um God. let's rate this film uh mm-hmm. i didn't see it in 92 so i don't have a rating but before this podcast i was at a 72 and i'd say i'm now at like an 85 like i think this movie is yeah. like um legitimately great um would watch again as i mentioned might even watch the sequels depending um but that's where i'm at where are you at emily oh gosh i came in at an 85 i'm not i'm not that much higher but i think i'm gonna go like 87 i think it it, it is it is a really interesting tight movie that has a lot of cool thematic implications that the more you think about them, the more interesting ways you can take them. And if you see those and are like, I don't think that this quite works, I get it. But I like the fact that it is kind of left open to the viewer to figure a lot of it out. On the uh, 90s queer phobia scale, I'm going to give this a two because, you yeah. know, it is very much it. There, There's something so fucking queer about this movie and I can't figure out what it is. I think it's that bees are the gayest of insects. Oh, interesting. I like that. I like that. Roxana, where, more where so are you than in like, the, uh... like a ladybug? Why do I think of a ladybug? I think lady oh. I think ladybugs are too easy. I think okay. that like okay. I think that like bees are, you know what? I'm gonna correct this. Bees are the bears of the insect kingdom. Okay, I like mm. that. Okay. Mm. Especially like, like that. a carpenter bee, like like sure. a big, like mm. fuzzy yeah. wood eating bee. <laughs> Listen, in the queer insect world, their version yeah. of the village people is just five bees. I love it. Absolutely. So zero to 99, Roxana. Uh, I mean, I want to give it like a 99. We... But in okay. reality, okay. okay, I'll give it like a 98. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Way to hold back. Way yeah. to really pull yourself back. I'm okay. really reining myself in. I don't know. What, what, are, you taking a point, what are you taking a point off for? You know what? I I will say that I will take a point off for the uh the little boy that like gets his junk ripped off. That's okay. a little bit too far 
you know yeah. i'm like that's... i mean the movie yeah goes yeah. there that's really... a little bit too much like would candy man really do that my candy man i don't know my candy man yeah what i what i one thing i do like about candy man mm-hmm. is that and also i think this is another thing when i saw people talking about the the 2021 movie mm-hmm. there's a great piece by angelica jade bastion about that film on the site vulture uh mm-hmm. which roxana works for mm-hmm. and uh, is very much like she's sort of grappling with, okay, but can't most of Candyman's victims are people who live in these housing projects. Yes. You know, the ones we see are, you know, mostly like white academics who've come to look in on this. But like, <laughs> yeah, I think I like that there's something about Candyman is now like honor bound to kill you if you summon him, even if you're ostensibly some of the people that he like kind of is meant to protect in a weird way. I like that element. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing when I, what I was trying to say with Endgame, very inarticulately is like what drives Candyman? Like obviously summoning him is part of it, but is he protecting the community? Is he preying on the community? Is it both? And so I think the fact that the movie isn't entirely definitive about that, ties into the lack of definity in the ending and how they mm-hmm. treat Helen and that makes it all so much more interesting to me mm-hmm. and so the remake you know turns its back on that idea sure. and makes mm-hmm. it very definitively that Candyman is like you know an avatar for justice or whatever and I sure. just I don't know if that's the Candyman story to me yeah, I mean, I think the moral gray zone that it exists in, and even, you know, the sort of lack of rules that we were talking about earlier, makes it a little bit more open for interpretation and creates kind of this gray mm-hmm. area, which I think is, you know, hopefully intentional. But yeah. I, to your point, I think it it, it does make it uh, a stronger film. I, I So we want to hear your thoughts on Ted Lasso. But oh, before okay. we get to that, very quickly, uh, <laughs> if only you could see Roxana's face. Um, I just want to get uh, your thoughts, perhaps, on the film that we're covering next week, which is we okay. are doing Patriot Games with Adam B. Very. Do you have thoughts on Patriot Games and or Jack Ryan as a oeuvre? <laughs> and here's a, an additional question. Do you like Jack Ryan more or less than Ted Lasso? <laughs> That's a character. I, I think both are the same type of representation of mm. the American male, but like on oppositional sides of the scale, but sure. also both equally toxic. Yeah, I mean, I never really got the Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan thing, but I also wasn't, you know, I don't know, a 50 year old white dad. Like, yeah. I, I just, I, I never really got it. And, no. and it, it is fascinating to me, and we'll talk about this on the episode, obviously, Emily, but, like, as a franchise, it's a bizarre franchise that they oh, keep yeah. trying to resuscitate over and over and over again. Like, I think, of, I mean, obviously, Hunt for Red October is the first version of this, then Patriot Games is the first one with uh, with Harrison Ford. We get two of those with Harrison Ford, I believe. They're all, like, mm-hmm. hits, too. Like The two like... Harrison Ford ones are hits. Yeah. But then, like, the... The Ben Affleck one, I think, was like marginally successful. Yeah. Which one is the Ben Affleck one? Some of all fears. They okay, nuke yeah. Baltimore in that movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that Enemy one... of the State actually rules. Enemy of the and State that's Ben is... Affleck, right? No, that's Will Smith. Really? Enemy of the State. You're thinking. I don't know which one film you're thinking of. There's okay. Enemy of the State is yeah. It's Gene Hackman and Will Smith. Okay. Correct. 
But then you got some of all fears, and then they try to bring it back again, this time with, with Chris Pine Chris and Keira Knightley and Kevin Costner, directed by that movie straight up doesn't exist. Like if you ask people, isn't it like, directed That's by Bernard? Yes, correct. Horrible. I remember but how just, bad that was. One, one of those things where it's just like on paper, I guess someone thought like this is a good idea, and then it's a movie that straight up doesn't exist. And then obviously we now have the Jack Ryan series on Amazon with John Krasinski. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to do a spin-off off of that, I think, with Numi Rapace's character. This is all a long-winded answer, or not an answer, but a question to you of just sort of why do you think they keep going back to this well? Why do you think A and, and to Emily's point, they're all relatively successful, all things considered. And 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 just sort of like, what's the Tom Clancy thing? Like I just I, I is it is it just like Milit, you know, jingoistic military dudes. Yes, okay. yes. that's it. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's cool. that's yeah. the whole thing. There's, there's there's a lot of white men in this country, and a lot yeah. of them run Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they love yeah. that okay. shit. Hold they on, actually, it. actually, I ha- I know someone who loves Tom Clancy. Hold on. Hey, Han, <laughs> what do you like about Tom Clancy? She says it was 30 years ago. I was like 10. I think like she read all the Tom Clancy books. Really, I yeah. think. I think she could check like they, she could check them out at the library and like they were those adult books, books are. Have you ever tried to read a Tom Clancy book? No, I've never tried to read a Tom. Clancy they book. are two thousand pages, and most of it is just like talking about various like types of bullets and guns and ships, <laughs> and you're just like it's it's all just techno babble. It's crazy. If me. there's it's one, if, I mean, if there's one thing we know about my wife, it's that she loves specs on military hardware. Like that's just a thing. Yeah. I mean, listen. You, you know, I, I literally, I literally, <laughs> I literally think that it was the eighties and they're just like, there was this thing where like people just wanted, you know, kind of sure. hard edged macho bullshit. It's the end of the cold war, you know, and I think sure. it's just Tom Clancy's a hangover from that. Uh, he almost bought... the cold war, but we will forever need an enemy. We yeah, will never right. update our enemies. And so right. we need to maintain that sense of animosity and antagonism and american superiority and like that's what right and harrison ford is this kind of there's an accessibility to harrison ford he has kind of he's the guy he's the guy at this moment so like i i and i i'm sure he's sort of like this could be another franchise character for me and ultimately sort of does he does two of Mm -hmm. them anyway um air force one is also kind of a jack ryan film not really but kind of yeah it is yeah yeah no totally I'm I'm listen I'm very curious to watch it again I truly have not seen Patriot Games since the theater when I was 12 is so pa- which one which one is Patriot Games that's the what Sean Bean one it's the IRA one oh yeah. <laughs> man the 90s loved you, movies who, being like the IRA is bad like we really that? were on yes. that in the 90s all over it our guest is President Joe Biden is that correct he's coming on to talk about Irish history yeah. yeah well it's 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 Joe Biden as Ted Lasso but I mean it's it's <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of six of one half a dozen the other really mm-hmm. but our guest is actually Adam B. Very uh from Variety which I he he picked this movie um I'm curious to hear his 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 take on it yeah like um, a positive pick or a negative pick I don't know the answer to that question okay. all I know is that it was one of his picks and he's gonna come on and we're gonna talk with him about it and it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be something emily um Maybe and you're gonna get to yeah. podcast will just be like have we considered that the ira was right like maybe it's just that <laughs> I, I mean I would, i'm curious to hear what because like philip noyce directs that movie 
And I'm kind of curious as to like what the political take of that movie is in 92 on Ireland mm-hmm. and sort of all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I remember a lot of people in like Navy SEAL suits. <laughs> I mean, truly that's, and, and a lot of like night vision. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember the opening explosion, I think. Cause I yes. think there's like a Sean Bean close up. And there's and there's there's a, a a still that I remember vividly of like Harrison being like blown away by an yes. exploding car yes. that I'm just like that was sort of like plastered everywhere because it's like I don't know Harrison Ford's fighting bad guys and shit's blown up so show up guys I don't know Patriot Games coming soon uh, we're very excited um, Emily and you and Libby can talk Tom Clancy together as you as you go down memory lane as as, as I research yeah. <laughs> list your favorite bullet sizes or whatever yeah. like you know how you know how on some movie podcasts they have like a researcher um you know obviously blank check famously has a dossier has yeah. mine is just gonna be i'm just gonna be like libby what do you remember about these books and she's gonna say i don't remember anything and i'm gonna say yeah but really what do you remember and the uh, other the other tom clancy thing that that we didn't mention was the michael b jordan without remorse thing that came out we last don't need year. to mention it it I'm was just, so I'm just bad. That was the thing that happened. You remember who wrote that, right? No. Taylor Sheridan. No. Of course yeah. he did. Of course he did. Of course he did. I mean, they are, pure... they are, is he not the child of Tom Clancy? Like, is yes. he not his son? 100%. More and more, I'm like, how did this man make Hell or High Water, a movie I legitimately love? But yeah, you know, that movie is uh, just basically Taylor Sheridan in Sicario 2 mode. And it's getting a sequel, right? Isn't it? Aren't they making Rainbow Six or whatever? I believe they are doing that. Yeah. Ooh, I, that was I, a it, good video game, though. Rainbow yeah. Six. Fucking mm. good video game. Maybe it was. I, I just think it's interesting that, like, the Taylor Sheridan thing. You bring up Hell or High Water also made me realize, and this is not to go on a tangent, but yesterday um, I was just looking at Oscar stuff, and I looked at the nominees of the La La Land Moonlight Year for Best Picture, and it's a it's a crazy batch of movies like there's some stuff in there where you're like lion was nominated for best picture oh like, yeah that's... i just talked about lion the other day like there's just stuff we were just like lion's a nice little movie it's as... a bad movie it's but it's fine. just like it was nominated for best picture as middlebrow oscar shit goes it's mm-hmm. one of the better ones for me it has nicole kidman that... of course it's going to be nominated i yeah that's no, like expecting saying... a kate blanchett movie not to be nominated that like, was it will hard... be nominated yeah. That was Harvey's last big Oscar play. Yeah, because the okay. next the next Oscar season is when he. Well, I mean, he went to jail. Like, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, Manchester by the Sea, Fences, Lion, Hacksaw Ridge, Arrival, Hidden Figures. So, again, no judgment really. It's more just like it's a weird batch of movies. Some of is which... it more interesting that Hacksaw Ridge was in there? I mean, it's not Which, not interesting. It's like I, I have very mixed feelings about that movie. I think that's one of the be- I think it's so. one of the better lineups of recent years. Honestly, yeah. I think that's some good shit it's, in there. It's at least varied. Yes, it is know? varied. Yes. It is varied. varied. Yeah. But so as we wrap this up, as we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, Phil, yes, you fucking invoked La La Land. You know what you did. Oh, go ahead, Emily. You know what I saw this past it, it weekend, Roxana. You know, I have I have it open already. Oh, <laughs> God. I saw Damien Giselle's 2022 film, Babylon. Oh, please. Oh, say in, more. Say in, more. In 70 millimeter. 
okay. at the uh, Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. Correct. I am putting I am putting one minute on the clock for Emily's Babylon Minute. I texted Phil immediately after the film was over, and I was like, I think this is going to turn into like one of my favorite movies. I think I'm <laughs> going to like watch this over and over. I just think there is a thing in that movie that is like relentlessly trying to entertain you and mm-hmm. like trying to like, it has a thing it's, it's trying to say about its characters and all of that. And I think one of the beefs I've seen people have is that the characters are just kind of like pure raw archetypes. And I think that's true, but I think it's using that to get at something sort of elemental about how rarely we actually try to understand the people on screen. I think it is using the thinness of movie characters that it's in to the medium to its advantage and i just don't know that there was a movie last year with a sequence as good as the first day shooting with sound like that is just fucking straight up banger sequence and i uh cannot believe that this movie exists and that i got to see it and that's been emily's babylon minute roxana would you like to say some things i'd like to hear are you babylon pilled are you i I am not babylon pilled because i have not yet seen oh see it i think that you're going to be babylon pilled i think think i'll be babylon pilled too i was hanging out with robert daniels after he saw it and my man could not stop talking about how much he loved this movie i'd be like robert can we go get lunch he'd be like yeah but another thing about babylon (laughs) i so i'm i will just very quickly 30 30 seconds 30 seconds rebuttal my 30 seconds are uh, I, I really want to understand why people love it as much as they do. Mm-hmm. I will give it another watch because we're going to inevitably do some sort of a Patriot episode of a Babylon and it's going to yeah. be a thing. Um, so whatever. But again, I didn't hate the movie. I just, it didn't, it just didn't totally work for me. But Roxanne, I'm very curious to hear what you think of it. Um, I, I think it's got Wait, some good stuff. I'll be honest. I avoided it because of the Brad Pitt of it all. Yeah. Like, fair yeah. fair just, enough. Yeah. yeah. It feels... No. For a man who I loved once upon a time so much, it feels very difficult to watch I, any of his movies now. I am not a Margot Robbie person. Yeah, but this movie, like her, this movie made me a Margot Robbie person. Like okay, I just, I'm sort I fucking of over her, her, so I'm interested yeah. in maybe falling back in. I think it hit. I think it hit at a bad time in her like star persona because we're all kind of like. <sighs> but like, I think she. I think she. I think she fucking nails it. I think okay. she's great. So I keep that in yeah. mind. I mean, first man, perfect. So. I have this thing where, like, the public's opinion of Damien Chazelle, I think, has been like, well, he just kind of keeps getting worse. And I'm like, he just kind of keeps getting better. Yes, I definitely (laughs) think that. I think most people at this point, if they even remember who he is, are like, no thanks. But then I think the people who are pro-Damien are like, let's fucking go. Yeah. I'm going to say this is, I'll say this one last thing, and then, Roxanne, I desperately need to hear your your (laughs) take on Ted Lasso. Uh, my, my, My one thing is, I am curious to see what he does next. I- I'm Will curious he to do see something next because well, that one like flopped, right? It did, and he's going to do something that'll be like twenty, thirty million dollars. It's going to make it's going to make money worldwide because it is a enormous hit in Europe. Like is it, it really? is doing gangbusters business mm, in Europe. Wow. Yes, it? it is like the biggest movie of the year in France. <laughs> well, that should like, surprise you. The thing, like the thing is, like I, I mean, he probably like, but once you add in like all the ancillaries and stuff, like it will probably crawl its way to profit because it's such a big movie overseas. Right hmm. now, it is <laughs> at sixty-five million with a budget of anywhere from seventy-eight to eighty million. So, like, it might crawl to profitability. It is currently on. 
Paramount Plus. So if you yes. are a subscriber, Roxana, you can you can watch it for you can watch that and Top Gun. Just go you about your day. Um, Ted Lasso. Yeah. Wait, I have one last thing to say about Babylon, okay. which is that it gives me Cloud Atlas vibes. And I yeah. think that's a good thing because yeah. Atlas. Yeah. Atlas is yeah. much better than Babylon. Thank, yeah. thank you, everybody, for listening to our very long Candyman tangent on our podcast, TED Talk, where we talk about Ted Lasso. Roxana, mm-hmm. please continue. Roxana, mm-hmm. please. Let's hear. Oh. Uh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look. What I love say... the Candyman keeps popping up. What I'll say about Ted Lasso is the same thing mm-hmm. that I feel like I say about Parks and Rec. And everybody gets mad at me, but I think your show should have more to say than just like, it would be cool if people were nice to each other. I don't think that that, that isn't enough for me to like actively care about your show. I need more narratively. I need okay. more to like provoke me, to make me interested, to make me care. And so I just think it's a real like, flattening (laughs) of story Mm. and uh a real just exhausting thing to be told like it's good you'll like it it's nice like i don't i don't Mm -hmm. i need more than nice i i think yeah go ahead please i i i like i like the first i like the first three seasons of parks and rec a lot and then Mm -hmm. it kind of it's trended downhill for me i think the people should be nice to each other isn't as I think a totally valid thing to say. I think that it is inherently grounded in the status quo. And mm-hmm. if you think the status quo is at all bad, then these projects are like going to feel like 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 fingernails on a chalkboard to you. I've been thinking about like why I just can't quite get on board with the end of everything everywhere all at once, which mm-hmm. is a movie I really like. I but like the ending of it just kind of hits me the wrong way. And it's because it is talking about being kind as opposed to being nice and being kind is different from being nice as Stephen Sondheim has taught us. But like, there is something in all of these projects that is sort of like, listen, we all need to share this planet together. Therefore we should just be nice. And like often being nice just means forgiving people a lot of bullshit. And like, I think, I think if you're in a position of relative privilege and power, as all of us on this show are in different ways, like there is a temptation to just be like, well, of course people should be nice, but then you just end up, you know, fucking going down the rabbit hole of like, if someone's mean to you on Twitter, like you've had the worst day ever. And like, I, I don't know, something about niceness as an organizing principle really rubs me the wrong way. And I think that's why I could never quite get on board with, with Ted Lasso Mm -hmm. uh, in the way that I, I don't know, people thought I should. Well, and the other thing too is that like, I probably love all of Parks and Rec save like the last two seasons. Sure. Because I think that it is entertaining. It is funny. But I think when it just became like these meaningful friendships and having children and being happily married is like the key to all things being good. There's something condescending about that to me. And Ted Lasso, my frustration with Ted Lasso is like, this is a show that is ultimately more interested in that ideology than it is about the actual components of the show. Like it doesn't care about like soccer. It doesn't care about like relationships, you know, like it cares about like this idea of if you're nice to people, then that will spark change. And I just don't, 
by that, I guess. Well, I so there's a couple of things I want to say. The first is I think that sort of kindness and optimism are kind of two different things. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that this the the notion of sort of um trying to find optimism in a in a dark world, I think is powerful. I mean, of these course. three things that you've mentioned, Parks and Rec, uh, Ted Lasso, Everything Everywhere, have all also made me cry. fucking Shit's Creek. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Where I'm not, no, fuck you. I I, I didn't watch Shit's Creek because I'm from Canada and it's just every Canadian show that I grew up with, so I don't really need Shit's Creek. But <laughs> hell yeah. But I but I'll just say that uh, I, I think that it's a powerful notion, and I think sure. what you guys are are, are I think hinting at is sort of the misuse of that right like wielding its power for not not evil purposes necessarily but not particularly uh interesting let's just say interesting ways of doing it um i love parks and rec similarly last couple seasons whatever but like that show when it's in the pocket i think is arguably better than the office in my opinion oh 100 better than the office yeah. absolutely so i i think that the Ted Lasso thing that I think is interesting, and it's the one, not the one thing, but it's the thing I'm going to give it credit for in this moment as we're talking, is its depiction of mental health. I appreciate that the second season of the show was about primarily mental health. It was about, you know, Ted grappling with uh, his demons, for lack of a better mm-hmm. way of putting it, which was surprising because, like, that does not seem like it's what the show was about in season one. And it was a swing that I respected them attempting the swing. I think a lot of people didn't like season two as much as season one for that exact reason. Plus it had like two bottle episodes in the middle of it that just were sort of like, what does this have to do with anything? But but this is all to say that like, I don't hate Ted Lasso. I don't think that Ted Lasso shouldn't necessarily exist, but I completely hear where you're coming from, Roxanne, and the fact that like, I will watch the show and find myself just sort of being like, is this saying anything? Right. I, I I I hear that for sure. Yeah. I've not watched uh, enough of Shrinking to be able to to depict whether or not that is also <laughs> uh, it, what, what that is saying necessarily about mental health is I I can't speak to. But this is all to say that like I think it's interesting that Ted Lasso has become this thing, thing. considering how kind of. Um, low stakes and kind of you know a a little bit almost uh lacking in substance for lack of a better way of putting it like it it Mm -hmm. is interesting that it became this thing and i think it's just because people want to feel good and i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that but Mm -hmm. there is no one should ever feel (laughs) no one should feel good unless you're watching the film babylon oh my Unless yeah, you're true. turning on Apple TV and putting it on for all mankind. My favorite yeah, TV I show about mankind. implicit Republicans. It's a great yeah. show. <laughs> I, for all mankind is actually to bring this full circle. That was the show that when I was low on content, I was like, I'm going to go try this Apple TV show. I'm going to mm-hmm. see what this for all mankind show is. And I fucking love that show. I think season yeah. two of that show is one of the best seasons of TV um, in terms of its construction, in terms of how they did everything, just masterfully done. Um, I'm I, I'm amazed that Sony keeps giving them the amount of money they keep giving them to make this show that seems as though it makes little to no impact. Um, it is but... it is uh, it is one of Apple TVs. It was their biggest show before Ted Lasso, and it's still in like their top five. Really? Like, it is a huge okay. Hit I take it back. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? The thing about From Mankind is that for me, it does everything that Ted Lasso is claiming to do. Right. In terms of talking about like right. collaboration and teamwork and like finding common ground 
between people from seemingly like disparate lives like it that also cares to about me space. yeah also like <laughs> i love me some space but yeah so i but just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. whatever it's, it's, i'm not it's, i'm not trying to say show. that like yeah. I'm not trying to say that Ted Lasso is like the worst thing in the world. I just yeah. also wish. <laughs> I was going to say, I also wish that it did not exist, which again <laughs> is like too harsh. That's not necessarily what I want to say, yeah. but I guess my wish would just be that like people would push a little bit harder and be more willing to expand what they want to spend time with. I guess that's I what I would love in yeah. a dream world. Sure. I think. I think that there is a thing that happens online where the conversation around these gets so warped by people who are very much like, well, don't you want to feel good? Like, yeah. and there is a implicit moral judgment to that. Sure. And I will be clear that I think that as someone who likes to watch stuff that's depressing and weird, like I can sound very moralistic too, when I'm like, Hey, but don't you want to watch like something really edgy? But like, yeah. we are definitely living through a cultural moment where the pendulum has swung all the way over to, I just want to watch something nice. And like, there is an implicit moral judgment to that, that, you know, kind of rubs me the wrong way. People I should watch that. all kinds of shit. People should watch. <laughs> I agree with that. People should watch Candyman 2021 2, directed by <laughs> Olivia Wilde, starring Sandy Bullock. It's going to be I great. I also think that you can, like, learn lessons from things about how to behave from media that isn't just, like, happy people or, Pablo. you know, these sort of, like, surface-level depictions of hardship. Um, but I say that as someone who, like, has never felt more seen than by Don Draper, so maybe don't listen to me about any of this type of thing i think that if if i have sort of one feeling about ted lasso becoming a hit it's more just there's so much television out there and there's great stuff that is just not being watched um and you know it would it would be nice if you know uh we are lady parts was as beloved as uh you know ted lasso but alas we don't live in that world but this is all you know i this is, it's complicated times. I think that people are understandably, you know, fraught with the various things that are going on in the world. And again, I'm not one of those people that says like, uh, you should only watch escapist things. I think that that's a big mistake. I think that that's toxic in its own way. But, you know, if you're going to watch a Ted Lasso, you know, follow it up with a Candyman 2021 2 by Olivia Wilde. <laughs> I think that's, a, I think that's fair. You know? Or followed up with We Are Lady Parts, the or best show that no one talks about because it's about a group so of good. brown Muslim women. It's a it is a phenomenal a show, and I can't show. wait for her movie. I can't wait yeah. for that to come out later this year. It was on my um, last ever best of TV list. It, it's it's a great show that I are we getting a second season? Allegedly, okay. allegedly this year, maybe. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I just I because I know that it was like because Peacock did order it right. I think so, okay. but then I okay. think she started making her movie. Okay. So Fair I enough. think the second season got delayed. Fair enough. Great yeah. show. Everyone should watch We Are Lady Parts. It is wonderful. Um, as are you, Roxanne. Thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. We Thank you. Uh, we can't wait to have you back to talk Same. about other uh, 1992 gems. Yes. Where, um, where can people yeah. find you? What do you want to plug? Yes, please plug. Plug uh, away. You can find me on Vulture. I've been writing about The Last of Us. I wrote about the American exceptionalism of the show, and I'll have an interview with Craig Mazin coming up. Oh, cool. 
and uh you can find me on twitter i don't know saying dumb things on twitter so i we, we've got we've got too long but when we hang up we're going to talk last of us because i'm fucking over that show so yeah. Wow. I'm looking forward to hearing those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs>